Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Carrie Parker. And this week, we have part two of our wonderful interview with David Reese from Malware Bytes. So if you have not heard part one, you definitely want to go back and check that out first. And we've been discussing the security, and today we'll be getting into the privacy aspects of the COVID-19 situation we are all in and how the bad guys are trying to take advantage of people who are really anxious and fearful and looking for anything that might might help them, you know, stay safe, stay, stay healthy. And we'll, we'll wrap up a little bit on the security angle today about, you know, things you can do to protect yourself. And then we're going to dive into the privacy aspects because that's really starting to come to the fore now with governments, you know, rightfully wanting to help protect their citizens and perhaps, you know, in their zeal for doing this, or even sadly, in some cases, you know, trying to at least appear to be doing something and being effective are possibly going to be overreaching in, uh, in their proposals. And at least in the United States, I, you know, I think we are starting to hear now about the Google, Apple contact tracing stuff and having seen that get debated. But a lot of countries have already tried these things and some of them have already gone out on their own and done these things. And the solutions they've come up with by comparison, uh, certainly interesting, uh, but also chilling. So we're going to talk about that today too. So let's not waste any more time. Let's, let's pick up where we left off and let's get back to our interview with David Reese from Malwarebytes. As you said, you know, we all make mistakes. So, you know, maybe you, maybe you did click on that link. Maybe you did download that document and open it up and now you're kind of worried. So how would someone know if they've been infected by malware? And, you know, if we do believe we've been infected, what should we do about it? Yeah, I uh, I love discussing the signs of, you know, a malware infection because I think they're actually just as easy to spot as the signs of a email hmm. scam, right? They're, they're pretty obvious and, and I think just intuitively we can be like, hmm. Something's up here, and like you said, one of them is one of them is your computer startup is slow. Your computer is slow. Uh, your internet not might be slow. Obvious ones here are, are just uh, a litany of pop-ups uh, mm. for things you don't recall engaging with. One of the most obvious ones here is uh, is actually ransomware because ransomware tells you um, right. there's no <laughs> there's no mistake. You'll get a pop-up, a, a text, you know, like a readme text that's like. Hey, you know, you've, you've just uh, downloaded ransomware. Here's the ransom. Here's how to get all your files back. That one, you know, it's, it's telling you. Um, other ones are, are bra like browser redirects, right? Let's say your computer's acting strange and you go and you search online. Hey, my computer's acting strange. You click a link and it, it actually takes you somewhere else. And that's strange. So you, you go back and then you try another link and somehow you, you end up on the exact same redirect, the, the wrong mm. page. Another one is you have a different home page. Uh, mm -hmm. Another more obvious one is maybe you have new icons on your desktop. Uh, maybe you have uh, more more crashes, you know, system crashes. If if your computer wasn't freezing up a lot, and now it is, uh, that's that's a sign. Uh, and then, actually, for for mobile infections, again, because we use so much yeah. uh, internet on on our mobile devices, uh, drained battery life uh, is one of them. Mm. Um, is essentially, you know, your your device is being used for another purpose, and that's going to start eating up your your battery, and maybe even you might see a higher bill. Um, mm. The data that's being moved, if if you have capped data, which a, a lot of us do, unfortunately, um, you might see a higher bill because of that. So again, there's there's actually, I think, 
there's so many ways out there where I think intuitively, because we have started working with computers for so long, we realize when something's just kind of up, uh, something's not not right. And so if you're seeing those those signs, uh, yeah, you know, look it up. You you might have a malware infection, and then if you do, uh, again here, uh, download an antivirus solution. Download Malwarebytes. Uh, again, I, I cannot stress this enough. Our free version, it removes malware. Mm. Like that's the thing that you want. <laughs> And it's available for uh, Mac and PC? Mac and PC and Android, and I believe iOS. Hmm. Yeah. How, actually, how often are, are mobile phones infected? with? You know, Because when they first started coming out with antivirus for phones, I'm like, mm, <laughs> do we really need that? <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I guess it does happen. How, how, much, how common is that compared to PC infections? Yeah, so in terms of compared... I don't have the exact numbers on that, but I can tell you that one of the things that I work on a lot at Malwarebytes is on a type of threat that is called stalkerware. Uh, mm. Stalkerware type apps um, uh, can offer access into your device uh, that will pry into your text messages, uh, reveal your GPS location history, your your web browsing history. Uh, they can actually even uh, hijack your microphone and camera controls. Mm. They can take a photo without you knowing. They can spoof that you're sending a text message. So someone can take control and be like, I'm sending a text message on behalf of this other person. Oh, wow. uh, these are these are really bad kind of nefarious tools out there. Um, but uh, the, the point here is that this is a primarily uh, mobile infection problem. Hmm. In fact, I would say the majority of, of the things we're detecting uh, is, is just mobile devices, right? Um, there are types of malware out there that are only concerned really with mobile um, because we use we we have so much of our lives on on these devices now and uh, some of the information that they're after particularly GPS location history mm-hmm. you got your phone on you every single day uh, right. I don't have I don't I don't walk with my laptop right now <laughs> <laughs> right 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 yeah I was recently making the point that you know uh, when Orwell wrote 1984 I don't think he even he envisioned us would actually be carrying willingly our little telescreens with us everywhere we go <laughs> right okay um so one more thing about that and we'll then we're going to get into some privacy issues um so you, you mentioned ransomware we talked about that and the difference there being once you're once you're actually once it's too late once you're actually infected with ransomware it's at that point you really can't download malware bytes right I mean so for that particular case where your computer is basically now being held hostage and you can't do anything else, what, um, is there still an option? I mean, well, like, what do you do at that point? Yeah. Uh, and it's such a good question and it affects, you know, both individuals and businesses. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of solutions. None of them I think are great. Uh, one of them which depends on if you're the person, right? This is this is you, this is a moral decision. Do you want to pay the ransom? Mm-hmm. I would say that most people do not. <laughs> uh, there's part of it, one, I don't want to pay 2,000 bucks. Two, hell no, you know, like, um, right. I'm not going to do that. When you are faced with sort of database recovery, you will find that a lot of the things that you do are actually now living online. There is so much information that I have produced that now is stored on a secured cloud. Hmm. Um, and part of that is because it makes it easier for me to switch devices and, and work and still share documents with uh, necessary you know, parties. Uh, another part of it is because, um, yo, I got, I got hit with ransomware like, in like two jobs ago, oh, and wow. I, I lost all of my notes. And that was just a wake-up call of like, 
I can't only locally store, you know, some of my right. notes. Um, I was a, I was also a journalist back then, and I lost like interviews. Mm. That 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 destroyed. It didn't destroy, right? But I had to recreate interviews with a couple of folks for stories I was working on, you know, that week, and I don't want to do that again. <laughs> right. Yeah. So again, uh, sometimes you know you can you'll be surprised by how much you've actually, you know, sent your information around online. Um, maybe, you know, sending in an attachment, uh, maybe sending something to a friend, maybe even you're just your use of something like Google Drive. Right. You can start to rebuild. Yeah, that's actually an interesting point. And um, a lot of us are doing a lot more things in the cloud now, whether, you know, people may not even realize that, oh, yeah, I'm using Dropbox. Well, do you realize that the mm -hmm. reason you're using Dropbox is because it allows you to have a cloud copy of these devices where if your computer's host mm -hmm. or even if it just breaks down, you yeah. those are still there, right? If you get a new computer, you can just download them again. So, yeah, that's, mm -hmm. that's a great point. So maybe, you know, maybe at this point would be a good time to take like an inventory uh, of the key, right. you know, key parts of your data and then kind of see where they where they lie if they... And, you know, if they don't, then maybe now is the time to look at like a cloud backup or start putting those, you know, like I've personally gotten to the point where all my documents are, are in a sync.com folder. And, mm. and so I can not only can I access, like you said, from multiple devices, but if anything ever happens, those, I still have all that data. It's not going anywhere. So yeah, it's a great point. Right. Okay. So now, so security is obviously one aspect of this. We've talked about it, maybe beat it to death, but, uh, privacy <laughs> is the other, is the other really big one here. And, uh, you know, when this stuff happens, you know, governments, you know, want to scramble, right? They, their, their job is to protect mm -hmm. their citizens. So they want to at least appear to be trying to do that. And, but you know, like after nine 11, you know, just like we did then, we kind of run the risk of mm -hmm. overreacting and, mm -hmm. you know, in the, in the kind of the panic or the fear of, of something negative happening, you know, we kind of just we make that kind of gut choice like, well, you know what, I, I'll give up some civil civil liberties now or give up some privacy now you know, to be protected. You know, and then we'll dial it mm -hmm. back later. Right. But, <laughs> but that never <laughs> happens. Like, just look at 9-11. Right. So right. and it seems like, you know, different countries are different, different things. Uh, so maybe kind of walk us through some of the surveillance. because A lot of these things come down to some form of surveillance. So kind of, you know, walk walk me through some of the uh, some of the things that have been proposed in different countries and, and how they want to go about doing things like contact tracing or, or something like that to prevent the further spread of the disease. Yeah, absolutely. So exactly as you said, several governments have implemented or are trying to implement uh, different models of surveillance. Uh, and some of it is purely digital, and some of it is uh, looking at physical movements uh, through digital means. So what I mean by that is uh, South Korea, right, has been trying to tie together where uh, folks who have been confirmed to have tested positive for coronavirus, they're, they're tracking their movements uh, even through surveillance camera footage. Mm. They are also tracking their credit card transactions, seeing mm. you know what stores they visited if they did. Uh, and they were also publishing some of this information oh, wow. online. Right. Um, <laughs> the, the publishing of information led to harassment from... Oh, yeah other groups, uh, from, from other individuals. And so South Korea actually took a step back. Uh, they were worried that the harassment was going to impede uh, against people getting tested for yeah. coronavirus, which is a worse thing. Yes, right, this right. is very true. Um, other countries, Israel uh, mm. revealed to its citizens that it, it had been tracking GPS locations right. of their devices for years uh, for supposed counterterrorism measures, right? right. Um, but uh, in a you know very quick, uh, almost slapdash maneuver by their parliament, that that program was actually now changed to be used for coronavirus tracking. Hmm. Um, 
And the way that people found out is that they got text messages. They, they never knew that this surveillance system was in place and it's like, hey, it has been all along and now it's to track, you know, coronavirus. Uh, Russia has a particularly interesting one where parts of Russia have uh, released a QR code scanning app. Uh, basically, yeah, you scan a QR code that lets you go outside for an allotment of time. Oh, and wow. there are, right, and there are allotments of time that are allowed for certain activities. Uh, I think it's, you know, two hours maybe for grocery store shopping, um, an hour to go, you know, walk, get daily exercise, half an hour to take out the trash. Uh, and I, I don't wow. actually know what happens if you break those rules. Right. Like, I just don't. So again, yeah, we're seeing just a bunch of countries. And then to touch on something that she said here, contact tracing, uh, yeah. Singapore is the first country out there that uh, made a lot of headlines with uh, this so-called Bluetooth contact tracing. And what they were trying to do uh, is find a way to do some of the uh, manual labor of what is called contact tracing, which is basically just this really labor-intensive process of interviewing everyone who has tested positive for an illness. Uh, contact tracing has been around for decades, uh, and it's basically just investigative work. Mm. You know, person A has the virus, we found it out, where did they go? Where have they been? And, you know, depending on how long a virus is contagious, you know, you have to go back a week, two weeks, you know, maybe even longer. Who did they talk to? You know, what stores were they at on what days? And then try and find out who else was there. Um, again, it's it's just detective work. It's an investigation. And a lot of that's probably just interviews, right? It's like you're okay. You're mm -hmm. you're infected. Who who have you been around for the last two weeks? Maybe right, last. right. It's just interviews. So Singapore is trying to do that through a digital means, where they have a Bluetooth tracing app where people who have tested positive they volunteer to basically say that they volunteer to say that on their phone, hmm. and then there's a lot of hope that someone's phone will interact with someone else's phone by mere proximity through Bluetooth technology and there'll be like a ping and it says, hey, watch out, you walked across someone today oh who was a confirmed you know, coronavirus patient and it's not working great. <laughs> like, what, what, do you know if, like, in what ways it's failing? Because the reason I asked, the next question I was going to ask you is that Google and Apple have come together as a, in a rare... Um, I don't know, a coordination attempt because I, between the two of them, they probably make 90 or 95% of the, the smartphone software on the planet um, where they wanted to use Bluetooth as well. Um, so is this a similar thing or is it different? Yeah, it's the technology, the, the idea behind the technology is similar. And I'm glad you brought up this this Apple and Google uh, process where they announced recently, like you said, they're, they're going to update their devices to allow for trusted medical organizations to develop these types of apps that we're talking about, this type of app that we're talking about in Singapore. And it's going to, again, it's going to provide contact tracing. The idea, once again, is that if enough people download this, these apps and enough people have Bluetooth turned on consistently and enough people tell the app, hey, I have been confirmed with coronavirus, then if you have enough folks walking out there, there's a chance that their phones will essentially, again, when they come into contact, if, if you have two people in line at a grocery store, if you have two people walking across one another uh, at, a, at a sidewalk or, or in a you know, public park, their phones will communicate with one another and say, you know, a little beep, beep, you know, who knows what it is, hmm. and say, you know, you, you walked by someone with coronavirus, be careful. Um, the big 
problem here with uh, this this theory is it's it's not that there's a problem with the technology itself. It's not that there's a problem with what Apple and Google are themselves doing. It's the problem that you need, from my understanding, at least 60% of a population to do it. And Singapore, right. which enjoys a better trust of its government than <laughs> the U.S. does, uh, the max they've gotten to do is 20%. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's low, right? So there's a lot of obstacles. Yeah, and and so there's there's so many things about this this thing, I, and I've actually read quite a bit. I mean, the technical, like everything from what I can see, the technical aspects of these things that they're proposing, they really bent over backwards to 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 keep the privacy aspects front and center. And I was really amazed. And they've mm-hmm. they came up with some very clever ways to do this, so you're not actually trading information about none of these. Uh, things are, have people's names associated with them. They're all totally anonymous, um, and it's up and it's a totally opt-in thing. But then, as you say, I, I think I saw similar figures where you know for this to be for this contact tracing technology to work. I mean, if, even if the technology was perfect, if we don't get enough people signed up to actually opt into this system, it's not going to work. So that begs the question, mm-hmm. you know, especially in you know, I hate to say it, our government maybe the way it's leaning now, could they <laughs> force us to do that? So it's a great question. And when I think of, you know, could we be forced to, you know, download an app, my immediate thought is I can think of so many lawsuits that would be filed, you know, day one that, you know, let's say I can't be compelled to download an app any more than I can be compelled to say something that I don't want to say. And Mm -hmm. And that's like that's a real thing. We we cannot, you know, in the US we we can't be compelled to speak things that we yeah. don't want to speak. Right. Um it's uh and and there are rulings out there again. I'm not a lawyer, so I could be getting this wrong here of what of what the theory is, but there there are, there is a ruling out there that says code is speech. Like that mm. that does exist. And so I think this, you know, Again, not a lawyer. I'm probably leaning on a very light branch here. But <laughs> my idea is, you know, if I can't be compelled to, you know, to say something I'm not going to say, then you can't compel me to download something that I don't want to download. I hope you're right. I mean, because for as, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for as much as we want these things to save us, there's still, there's got to be a line. There's got, there's got to be, you know, willing participation in this somehow. And, you know, it, it, so their job, as far as I'm concerned, is to convince us that it's, that it's safe, it's private, and it's worth doing. Mm-hmm. And and that's as far as it can, that I hope that's as far as it can go, but we, I, we're probably going to find out uh, <laughs> how wrong, how right either one of us are about this. Um, hey. uh, back to the Apple Google, I, I know that, I don't know how much you've mm-hmm. looked at this, but I, I, I've heard that they're rolling it out like in phases, like it's coming soon, but like there's like, there's like an initial release and then there's like mm-hmm. a later release. What do you know about that? Yeah. So the initial release is for May um, and both of the companies have agreed to release uh, APIs. They're going to enable interoperability between both of their devices architectures, which is a big thing like mm-hmm. that. That should be noted that first again that that first release there is of the of the APIs and then the second one uh months after hasn't been you know narrowed down um mm-hmm. Apple and Google are going to work to enable sort of broader again bluetooth based contact tracing and they're going to make like a platform uh that'll allow uh for developers to actually take advantage of it it's it's supposed to be more robust than just a simple API mm-hmm. And it's going to allow, I think, more folks to like work with it, uh, and and also, it's you know, it's built on this idea of 
of voluntary opt-in. There's a big part here, you know, with how the data is collected. Uh, both companies have said that the companies will not access. They're not going to have access. It's not just that mm-hmm. they're like, you know, we say we won't do it. Like, no, they just, it's built for them to not have access to the information itself. Right. Um, the information will not be handed over to third parties or governments, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. Uh, and yep. then further, uh, folks won't be able to reverse uh, engineer someone's identification because um, the ID codes that will be tied to the to the Bluetooth tracing app, those ID codes are going to actually be rotated every 15 minutes, mm. which is a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. That's yeah. So it's there. There are actual, you know, privacy restrictions. There's good things being built into this. So everything I've seen about this stuff so far, at least the, in particular the one from Google and Apple, is it's it's very uh, focused on the individual. Like it's coming up with a system so that if you participate. It will allow you as the individual in a completely private way without notifying anybody else determine if you've been infected and also to notify others uh, privately and anonymously that you've been that you've been infected. Um, But I I haven't seen anything talked about it, like any kind of a macro level, like something like maybe CDC or WHO uh, could use to get like a macro view of things going on. Um, Have you read anything about that or any other kind of um, proposals out there uh, that might you know, because I actually one of the ones that saw that that was actually kind of freaky was shortly after this happened, somebody um, I don't know where they were from, maybe the tel- the telco, the, the, the cellular mm-hmm. provider showed like, OK, here's all the phones that were on a particular beach in, in, in Florida, you know, and mm. then they tracked where those phones went for the next 14 days. And they went, of course, it was spring break. So they went mm. everywhere. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. So so have there been. Has there been either this system or other systems been proposed that that kind of work at more of a macro level? So this system is definitely being still proposed, from my understanding, voluntarily. Um, And, you know, the voluntary means not at a macro level. And and some of the countries uh, trying to work with the Bluetooth contact tracing. Again, we have Singapore. uh, Taiwan is interested. India is interested. Australia is interested. Some difficulties apparently have uh, emerged with the the UK's national health system. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to develop their own method for contact tracing that doesn't rely on the Apple and Google partnership. And then France is also doing its own. It wants to make its own app. And from what I read, kind of funnily enough, Apple's own Bluetooth privacy settings are the obstacle for rolling out that app. Huh. So they're doing something different that it appears Apple's settings do not agree with. Um, huh. What the actual, you know, minutia of that is, I don't know. <laughs> Something on the macro level is more akin to what we saw with Israel, right? Mm. Which is a uh, is a broad, massive surveillance program that can sort of just reach into everyone's pocket and say, "You were here. You were here. You were here on this day, on that day, on that day." Uh, and then finding a way to, you know, connect the dots, if it were, of who talked to who, who visited who, what store they went to. The problem with trying to find reliable results in, you know, so-called tracking coronavirus digitally is that it does require, you know, more than 60%, 70% of the population uh, to be tracked. And and then we dip into, well, okay, that's just a mass surveillance regime. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, the, of course, the, really, the scary thing is, is that, you know, between Google, Facebook and the cellular providers they actually already do have this information. It's just, <laughs> they're already sitting on all this amazing treasure trove of, of location stuff. Uh, it's just whether or not 
you know, that could be the next thing, right? I mean, certainly our, our government or the UK, Australia, these governments have kind of been prone to, you know, leaning heavily on these guys and say, you know, well, sorry, we need it. National security or, you know, mm-hmm. or for whatever the, the case may be and, you know, cough mm-hmm. it up. And luckily, I guess so far in this country, we've kind of, you know, we've got some, we've got some laws and we've got some constitutional stuff that kind of keeps that hopefully at bay. But yeah, that's, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of scary. Um <laughs> All right, so let's wrap up a little bit. So um, we've talked about some uh, advice here, but as citizens, you know, how do we, how can we really evaluate these various proposals? I know that some of these are very technical, and some of the I've heard some great explanations, but nevertheless, you know, if we're going to be calling our representatives or we're going to try to give our feedback at these town, well, there's no town halls anymore, maybe virtual town halls. <laughs> um, but you know, if if we find that something feels like it's too much, if it's overarching, if we if we kind of if we make a point of looking at the the long game and the bigger picture, and you know, for me sometimes it's helpful to think of this. Oh, what about what if what if I read this in the newspaper of some other country? Like what if I read about this in South Korea, or then they're going to do this, or 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 mm-hmm. Israel, or, or or name your other country, but like to separate yourself from the emotional aspect of it, like put it somewhere else and then try to think about it you know, rationally. If we come up to this idea that. Yeah, that, you know, this is, this is, I'm not comfortable with this, or I think this is a step too far. Mm-hmm. I, I realize what they're trying to do. And as a citizen, what do you think our, what's our best way to like push back? How do we, how do we make our voices heard and how do we effectively um, keep our government from going too far? Yeah, I, I want to focus on, like you said, uh, this evaluation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how do you evaluate any surveillance proposal? And uh, the folks at EFF, good folks, obviously mm-hmm. biased. <laughs> I thought they I thought they put forth uh, three really simple questions on how to evaluate any new surveillance that that might be used to track uh, coronavirus. And and the first question uh, first has the government shown its surveillance would be effective at solving the problem? <laughs> if the if the answer is no, then you then no then say no to the surveillance regime, right? right? If the government has shown that, let's let's assume they have, right? So we can get to question two. Second, you know, if the government shows efficacy, then we ask, uh, would the surveillance do too much harm to our freedoms, right? So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if something works, if it's going to, again, do too much harm to our freedoms, if we're going to just erode this entire idea of privacy, not just for the short term, but for the likely long term, right? Mm-hmm. We, we don't have a good history in this country of installing uh, surveillance regimes rapidly only to dismantle them just as rapidly. Yeah. <laughs> just doesn't happen. And then third, if the government shows efficacy uh, and, and it shows that the harms to our freedoms are not excessive, the next question is, are there sufficient guardrails around the surveillance? You know, and and there are a lot of things to consider about, you know, what are appropriate guardrails? One of them is, you know, only collecting data that's necessary. So right. for something like COVID nineteen, you know, if the if the contagious period is is fourteen days, look, you we don't need to hand over where we were three months ago, four right. months ago. That's not a way to do it. Um, a, another simple one is that you know data collection is based on science. It's not based on bias. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of bias out there right now, today, um, targeting Asians, Asian Americans. That you know they're the cause of the virus, right, or they yeah. they are all infected. And it's look, it's it's just racism, it's just bigotry. Like <laughs> we don't have to pretend it's something else. So we can't have that you know guiding our data collection. A big one as well is is just expiration. Look, like I said, you know, once once the crisis is over, once we defeat it. 
the surveillance regime has to be dismantled. That's it. Right. Um, another is transparency. Mm. Is the government just being open about how it's using big data, where it's you know collecting the big mm -hmm. data from? Um, and then also, if we're going to be relying so much on a system, the, a data collection system that tells us you know who needs to be quarantined even, we need to be able to fight that system. We need, right. we oh, need yeah. the system to have due process. Um, we need to be able to appeal. Um, we, can't, we can't have a data collection regime, again, just tell us, okay, well, you were at, you know, Vons or Safeway or whatever on, you know, this day, and, well, looks like you bought pasta and someone else in that aisle also had COVID, so mm. you're in quarantine for 14 days. Like, we can't, we can't allow that on it, you know, just broadly without any opportunity to appeal. So those are just great ways to, again, really think about, do we, should we push back on these things? And if you do want to push back on those things, I think now is a great time. I think now is a fantastic time to reach out to your legislator, reach out to your senator, reach out to your Congress representative. What else are they doing, right? They're at home. <laughs> um, Hopefully they're able to take those messages. I can tell you that they, they, they do listen when there is an enormous volume of messages. Um, and whether, whether they listen by interpreting that, you know, oh, they're really upset, they're pissed off, they're annoyed, um, I, I don't think that that's really substantially different than they listen and they, you know, suddenly see the light. Because what they want to do is they want to address the issue that's getting them in hot water. Um, I, I don't care how they personally feel about it i want them to fix the thing that we are all rightfully upset about yes very 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 true and uh as you were talking i couldn't help thinking about as you were asking those questions i was i was applying those questions to a lot of the stuff we did after 9 11 i don't think we would have gotten past the first one for a lot of the things we did you know <laughs> efficacy right um so much of what we did after that is you know I've, security guys have called security theater you know it's just it makes makes mm -hmm. you feel safer make it look like they're doing something but everything i've read said that the number one thing that they did that was actually worthwhile was putting a lock on the cabin door in the plane everything else was just fluff <laughs> it just it didn't really didn't really do anything but yet we're still stuck with it to this yeah. day so yeah wow right. well uh yeah um go ahead i was going to say quickly uh that right this was after this is after 9-11. This was 2001. Um, 2020, this year, I think just a couple of months ago, we found out that some of what those surveillance mechanisms became down the line, you know, when they were actually codified into law, that across $100 million spent uh, and across more than four years of surveillance, uh, that information only twice revealed information that the FBI didn't already have. Mm. Um, so, yeah. you know, like you said, this, this efficacy, uh, we were not shown in 2001, again, the, you know, the, the germs of, these of this surveillance regime, that they would work. And it took us almost 20 years to find out that, what, it, only twice? Only twice the FBI already didn't have this information? Um, yeah. Yeah, it, we, it wouldn't have passed the test. Yeah. So yeah, we got to keep the we got to keep the long game in mind, and and you know if you know if, if all we do is go to our representatives and say save me, save me, figure out something, do anything, that's <laughs> they're going to do anything, and it's <laughs> not going to be a good thing. So yeah, we got to be thinking about what be careful what you ask for. Right, exactly. All right, David, this was wonderful. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. Great to have you again, and uh, stay safe uh, and take care of yourself. Thank you, man. Yeah, it's always good to be back, and yeah, also to you and everyone at home. Like you said, stay safe. 
to give a big thanks to David Reese for coming back on the show. It's always so fun to have him on the show. And today and yesterday, well, in the last week, we talked about some really, really important things that are happening right now uh, that we need to pay attention to as citizens. So thank you so much, David, for coming on the show. And uh, definitely check out Malwarebytes free version, if uh, if nothing else. Uh, the free version can be downloaded uh, on Mac or PC and can be used to scan your PC. For some reason, maybe you think you clicked on that bad link or opened that bad document and may be infected if your computer's exhibiting some of those uh, symptoms that uh, David talked about. You can download Malwarebytes at any time and do a free scan of your computer to find out if something's going wrong and remove anything that you find there. Uh, if you want to uh, step up to the paid version, uh, that will automatically scan as we as you go uh, instead of having to do it on demand. Uh, but Malwarebytes is a great thing to, uh, a great way to kind of double check and make sure that everything's okay. Uh, if you're somewhat concerned that maybe, like I said, maybe somehow you got yourself infected. So definitely check that out. And actually, David Reese has his own podcast now with Malwarebytes. It's called Lock and Code. So you might want to check that out as well. A couple of things I wanted to add, uh, follow up on that, that David mentioned in the, uh, we kind of talked a little bit about in, in today's podcast. One is uh, Sync.com. It's like Dropbox. It's like Google Drive. It's like OneDrive, uh, iCloud, uh, all the ones you've probably heard about. But unlike, uh, I think, most, if not all, all the ones I just mentioned, uh, that do have encryption, but they hold the key. Sync.com actually allows you to set your own encryption key, meaning that even Sync.com cannot read whatever files you put up on their cloud service. And that, to me, honestly, is table stakes. I, I'm actually truly shocked that iCloud has not at least offered this as an option to people, and hopefully that will change soon. But in the meantime, uh, Sync.com is really good. It's uh, it's very cost-effective. It's uh, They give you plenty of stuff for free, which might be enough for most people. And, they're, and, and to pay for the step up is actually pretty cheap. Uh, and I've, I've gotten to the point now where basically all my documents, instead of being in my local documents folder, is in my Sync.com folder, knowing that those documents are, will always be backed up it comes with file versioning, so if I mess up one version of the file, I can actually go back to previous versions. And of course, since it's in the cloud, I can access it from anywhere, including uh, all my devices, uh, even some random computer. For some reason, I need to log in to get a file. And the other thing I want to bring up is a great website called nomoreransom.org. So if you do get infected with ransomware, at that point, obviously, it's too late for antivirus software, even Malwarebytes, to do anything about that. But sometimes the bad guys screw up, and they're software engineers or software hackers anyway, and software has bugs, and sometimes they don't do their ransomware right, and so that you can actually undo the ransomware without paying, and nomoreransom.org is the site you want to go to to see if any of such solutions like that exist before you even reply, let alone pay. So next week, we got another news show coming up. I've got a lot, plenty of stuff to catch you up on. Zoom is really cranking up their security and privacy, which is really great news, and they just bought a security company called Keybase, which is great for Zoom. I'm not sure what that means for Keybase. It's something actually I've been uh, kind of toying with myself, and I thought was pretty cool. So I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. But anyway, it's good for Zoom. Uh, we're going to talk about all the changes Zoom has made in the last few weeks uh, after they were, you know, shamed with all the Zoom bombing news stories and such. So uh, it's come a long way. We'll talk about that next week. Google Authenticator has got some changes, some very welcome changes coming out soon. They haven't really updated in a long time, and uh, they're addressing one of their key drawbacks, though I still think Authy is better. But we'll talk about that next week as well. Firefox has also uh, rolled out some uh, really couple uh, neat privacy features, and they keep they keep adding more and more. I, I just love Firefox, so we'll talk about those next week. I'll do a little bit of updating on the Apple Google contract uh, tracing framework. They keep releasing more details and kind of crystallizing their design and tweaking things here and there and adding more and more detail. So uh, we'll talk about that next week as well. 
So be sure to tune in. Uh, obviously, if you go to and subscribe to the podcast, you will never miss one. And while you're there, uh, if you wouldn't mind dropping on a review for the podcast, I would very, very much appreciate that. It doesn't take very long. It means a big deal to me. So if, if you're liking what you're hearing, please, please go give a nice review to the podcast. I'm still working on version four of the book, uh, but you can get version three right now. Version four will probably won't be out till uh, September, maybe. Um, so uh, you pick up version three right now. And if you want to, you know, kind of get the behind the scenes uh, on how this book is developing and maybe even give some uh, direct feedback on what you'd like to see in the next edition, you can go to patreon.com and sign up at the right level there. And you'll get, uh, you'll get, I don't know, reports every two or three weeks on how things are going. There's so much, there's so much in, in writing a book. And uh, so if nothing else, you might find it just kind of fascinating just to, to see what really happens. All right. And that's going to do it this week, folks. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll be back again next week as always. And stay safe out there. Stay home. Stay healthy. And don't get caught with your drawbridge down.